this this is the key of realism is the one with right. the trident shows up right. and it's like yeah <laughs> Everyone, welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen, and we could not be more excited to welcome you to today's episode because it marks the sixth time we have indulged in this tradition of the No Script podcast. It is April, which I'm, I, I guess off the top of my head, I don't know if our spring season always has themed month as April, but it probably right, right. does, right? I, I, it's got to be. We're saying it for now. <laughs> it always does. <laughs> Until we can definitely <laughs> confirm that that's not true. And uh, by then, this will, episode will already be released. So if we're liars, we're liars. Typically, around this time in a season, uh, we have what's called a themed month, which means we spend a month worth of episodes, four episodes, discussing plays that have some sort of tie, some sort of binding agent. And it's our great joy to try to change up what that tie is. We don't always do plays of the same genre or plays of the same playwright or plays of the da-da-da-da-da. We try to do lots of different things. Our very first themed month, themed month was Musical Month, uh, which was great fun mm-hmm. in our very first season. And then we did lots of others, including Miller Month, four plays by Arthur Miller. And we did Magic Month, four plays with magic in them and uh, several others since then. This being the sixth iteration, we're very excited for in parentheses, original, Masters Month. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're jumping into Masters Month. We continue to evolve the title of this month. Uh, We've got (laughs) Because we're jumping into a very specific brand of masters, a very specific genre and culture of masters and in time theater. and gender. Yes. <laughs> mm, yes, also true. All of these are true. We're jumping into Greek plays, Greek masters, tragedies, comedies from the cradle of uh, of at least Western government and Western civilization, where 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 Western theater got its start. Yeah, the ancient Greek plays, there's some really, really awesome ones in that library. And I'm sure there are lots more that are just lost to us. I mean, one of the great tragedies of theatrical history is how many of the ancient Greek plays we no longer have. Yeah. And that really becomes apparent as you read the play for today, because this play references a lot of plays that we just simply don't have. And so translators have the job of trying to decide whether they're going to change the reference or leave the reference in, but footnote that nobody really knows what they're talking about because we've never read this play. But it, it there's so much there that we do have that makes a month like this really exciting. We've done one other ancient Greek play across no script. We discussed Oedipus Rex, so you can be sure that is not going to be one of the four plays we discussed this month. That's correct. We are jumping in, though, to one of the uh, playwrights who has uh, kind of the one of the most plays that we have left of any playwright. We're jumping into Aristophanes today. As you've probably already seen on the title, we are talking about The Birds, um, which is Aristophanes' uh, great comedic play with just such such uh, almost absurd levels oh, of, of comedy in it. The yeah. Birds is wild. It's, uh, we, we've said, as we've led up to this month, that we're doing three normal 
couple plays, plays that you may have seen, read, know about, and one just kind of off-the-wall weird one. Because there's a lot of off-the-wall weird ones in the ancient Greek library, and the birds is definitely one of those. In our month here, we're going to do two plays by Aristophanes just to try to represent how much Aristophanes contributed to the library we have. So this is one of the two plays by Aristophanes we'll be discussing. And we figured if he gets two, why not make one of the weird ones his? So today the conversation is about the birds. (laughs) Yeah, the birds, a a delightful, very politically uh, satirical sort of play uh, uh, that that, uh, (laughs) draws draws a hope of a birdly heaven for us to engage with. Oh boy, (laughs) a birdly heaven. Well, before we jump into our conversation and really begin our really exciting themed month, we're excited. I hope you're excited. Before we get there, though, it's a great time to ask you to support us over on Patreon, because hopefully, if you're a NoScript listener, themed month is one of the things that you love. So this is a great month, if you're not supporting us, to consider supporting us. Over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, just like that in the URL, patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast you can become a supporter of the show. How it works is that you choose a tier. We have a couple different tiers laid out there. That becomes a monthly amount that you contribute to help us run the show. The lowest tier is just a dollar a month. We're not asking, we don't think, for crazy amounts of money here. A dollar a month is really helpful, and there are higher tiers. If you're able to give more, that would be amazing. If you become a patron, you get access to patron-only posts, which include Jackson and I's musings about other kinds of art, reflections on if we see a show that we have previously talked about, We'll often write up a little reflection on getting to see the show. And then uh, as a patron, you get access to uh, we publish what scripts are coming out on the podcast much, much earlier over there so that our patrons, who we think of as kind of our really dedicated group of supporters, can read ahead and get prepared for what's coming out. So if that's you, if you consider yourself in that dedicated group of supporters, but you're not supporting us financially, please consider heading on over there. Patreon.com slash no script podcast. We love to do the show. We can't do it without your support. If you're already a financial supporter, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're why we get to do this themed month, because without the financial support, we just couldn't do it. So thank you if you are a supporter. If you're not, please consider it. And now, back to the script. Back to the script. Here we go. So I got the context today. I'm just going to give you a brief context of where this play sits, both in history and in the history of theater. Um, This play was written way back just way back in 414 BC, or at least that's when it was performed for the first time. It was performed at a festival. Um, the, the festival's uh, kind of culture in, in Greek and, and specifically Athenian culture had been, for uh, the previous hundreds or so years, focused on tragedy. Tragedy, um, which we'll get to eventually, we've already done a tragedy, but lots of pity and fear and purgation of emotions and all this you know big stuff that happens in tragedy. Oftentimes, that would be followed by what was called a satyr play. And that was just a ribald comedy that kind of followed it up, got the audience laughing while the judges were judging the plays. It often featured satyrs as a weird side note for nobody but you and I probably, Jackson. I've actually (laughs) written a satyr play. Really? Satyrs in it. I wrote it for playwriting the one act class in undergrad. (laughs) I wrote a satyr play of all things. I don't know why I did. Years later, I'm like, what in the world? (laughs) What is this thing that I did? (laughs) 
Yeah, so so these plays, often very ribald, often very funny, um, uh, kind of closed out the festivals. Well, this this art form began to kind of build, and uh, it got its own festival at one point, a, a sadder play festival. Out of that, though, came another branch of funny plays called comedies. And now the comedies were a little bit different in structure than the, than the sadder plays. The sadder plays were often very mythic, very rural, very chaotic, um, a, a lot of kind of strange creatures flowing in. Satyrs are a strange mythological creature. The comedies were very different. They are, they are very urban. They are very political. They're very referential. They have a lot of, uh, t they're talking about current day things. The comedy in general is 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 a different name entirely from the satyr, which uh, has to do with reveling uh, and partying and singing. Those are the Greek words in inside of the word comedy. Um, so so this, this sort of play structure begins to develop. Um, a couple big things develop along with it, and that is uh, the one thing I want to draw attention to just because uh, it's an essential when you're talking about Greek Greek comedy is the par parabus, is how I'm going to say it, or parabus. Um, and that is the, the chorus's work in the play of speaking directly to the audience, um, uh, kind of having no character and speaking to the audience in the room. In this play, it happens as the, the chorus speaking directly to the judges and telling them to uh, give the play first place. Um, so that's an example of that happening. This play, The Birds, as I said, uh, came out in 414 BCE, and it did not win first place, but second place <laughs> at the festival. It's so funny that we still know that, right? Like, we, we, of course, we do all the research that we do to prepare for these episodes, and like, all the resources you find about the birds, it's like in the first sentence, like one second prize at the right. thousands of years later. Aristophanes <laughs> is just like, God, why do you remember that? Yeah, well, he's uh, like, he went down in history for this play as the second prize winner. Right, right. <laughs> yep. It's a it's a deeply uh, not not quite satirical, but satirical in our understanding. Almost parody of some other things. There's a lot of uh, figures in the city of Athens in it um, that that are either being made fun of or referenced. Uh, there's, I mean, you could you could go off the deep end. People write dissertations on this sort of thing. There's stuff about the Peloponnesian War in this play. All sorts of fun stuff. But the the thing to take away from this play is it's deeply referential, deeply cultural, and and provides this kind of uh, uh, absurd problem-solving mechanic, <laughs> like that sees the problems of the world and tries to address it with this absurd solution. And by that absurd solution, you maybe get some sort of some sort of message out of it, but mostly you just have a good time watching it. Yeah, the the bird sort of represents for folks who who study this stuff and know a lot more about it than me, I'm just quoting what other people have said at this point, a sort of a shift for Aristophanes as a playwright. After The Birds, a lot of his work kind of had this same utopian view, this sort of attempt to create a perfect society became a, a focus of a lot of what he did after that. And The Birds is definitely that. And as we shift into the synopsis here, it's going to sound wild and just keep that as its core, was that Aristophanes set out to write a play about creating a perfect society. And in it, you may have guessed, if you don't already know, the play titled The Birds 
Aristophanes' perfect society in this play is a society <laughs> of birds. What? And they live in a world where people can turn into birds by eating the root of a magic plant, basically. And there are several famous people from other plays, famous stories and myths who turn into birds in other Greek stuff that show up in this play. And of course, if you're going to write this play in that culture, you've got to pull every Greek mythic character who's ever turned into a bird, and they better show up, and they do. <laughs> One right after the other. So, look, at, at its core, this is what happens. Two friendly dudes, humans, uh, Euripides and Pistatyros. Pi- is that what we're saying? <laughs> That's close to what we're saying. Pistatyros? Pi- yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to call him P.T. P.T. he's got a heck of a name. P.T. and Euripides show up at this basically rocky crag because they have purchased in the city where they come from uh, a couple of birds who supposedly are going to lead them to like the community of birds. They're actually after a specific person who they know has turned into a bird. Now in this play, he's just known as the hoopoe um, just by the bird. And so they're out in search of him. And their birds, as dumb as they appear in the first scene, do actually lead them to find this bird and this community of birds. And P.T., the driving protagonist of the story, with uh, the help from his friend Euripides, who kind of plays the backup dance around and encourage him role throughout this conversation, uh, relates to Hoopo a wonderful idea. Look, you birds used to be gods. And you birds, you rule the sky. You rule the space between people and gods. And if you control that space, if you militantly control so that no sacrifices can get to the gods, and, and of course this being a Greek comedy, there's plenty of sex jokes, so right away we get one, and you rule the sky so that the gods can't down and can't come down and have a bunch of sex with people, if you control that space and force everybody to pay homage to you, you birds as a species, as a whatever, a genus, I don't, I don't know the biological term, you birds are going to become the new gods. You're going to become the, the perfect, the worshipped beings. So you should found a city of the birds and run everything. That's P.T.'s suggestion. Hoopo is amazed by this. He calls together all the birds in an elaborate chorus song with this nightingale, a famous nightingale who used to be a woman that turned into a nightingale in a different story. And the community of birds comes together. They're going to attack them because they hate people right away. There's there's like a Greek tension between people and birds that's like part of the part of the culture of the play that goes over our heads, but like omens and stuff like that. The Greeks did have tension with birds. So the birds hate people, but the, the guys convince them of their plan. And so the rest of the play is this society of birds coming about and then basically taking over. Uh, the common English translation for the city of birds is cloud cuckoo land. That's kind of become g- generic across all the translations that we've just all gone with that. So cloud cuckoo, land, not all of them, I want to be clear, but most of them. <laughs> cloud cuckoo land becomes the new city of the birds that it's founded. P.T. and Euripides turn into birds themselves by eating this root. And then comes kind of this structure for comedy that Aristophanes follows and plays with. It becomes a series of what are called unwelcome visitors, um, which is just people coming to Cloud Cuckoo Land who they don't necessarily want there. And P.T., now the leader of this 
city of birds, dealing with them one after another. The first is a bunch of humans from human society kind of trying to impose will on the city of the birds. Uh, there's a poet who wants to write poems about it. There is an inspector who wants to inspect everything, make sure they're following the rules. There's lawyers who come to make sure they're following laws. There's militant people. There's architects. And one after the other, PT, I kid you not, beats them off the stage. <laughs> Whacks them away. Whacks them away. Um, and then Cloud Kugelan is blowing up all over the world. They're winning. They're beating the gods. They're controlling humans. So people start to flock to join the birds. They get outcasts of all kinds. A guy who's killed his father, a starving poet, etc., 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 all coming to become birds. And P.T., sure enough, beats them off the stage one after the other. And then in the climactic scene, three gods themselves appear as envoys to sue for peace and say, look, we need sacrifices to come to us. And by the way, Zeus would really like to go have some fun on Earth. So can we end this crazy <laughs> war thing? And P.T. says, sure we can, if Zeus will give up control of the world. His scepter is the prop that sort of represents that. He'll give up his kingship and he'll give up this beautiful goddess to be my wife and Cloud Cuckoo Land and the birds to be the new rulers. And in the Greek comic style, everything is a debate. And so it's a, it's a big debate about whether or not this is going to happen between P.T. and these three gods. And P.T. succeeds. He wins. He's taken up to Olympus and had given the scepter, crowned the new king of everything, basically, and wedded to this beautiful goddess. And that is the end of the play. That is The Birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. So this, it's a very fantastical play, right? Like from the beginning, the, 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 core, the core essential part of the, the reality of this play is that people can turn into birds. And there's a root that you can eat that you turn into birds. So it's it's based on this 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 kind of core assumption, right? This 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 baseline. Here's this weird thing that you just gotta believe. And once you believe that, then you go on this wild journey with them, and and can kind of play with all of these things like priests and poets and prophets and and all of, and philosophers and and in my my translation had the lawyer, the lawmonger, and all these people who try to assert their will on this new city and are just rebuffed by by uh by PT as we're calling him. Yeah, so one of the things that has long existed for this play is a kind of controversy, a kind of debate, a tension amongst academics and scholars of our time and many hundreds of years before us that have thought about this play being one of the few, few ancient Greek plays that we have and how wild and weird it is. And the question sort of becomes is this an elaborate and masterful political commentary of genius or is it simply a, a fantastic endeavor in something crazy and funny and there's not really much being said, it's just for fun? And that debate has been around forever and doesn't seem to have any 
uh, solid winners on either side. Yeah. I mean, the number of specific references and criticisms of the society that P.T. and Euripides come from um, are many. They come from a, a sort of a very legalistic society. That's one of their gripes. They're trying to escape it because there's all these laws and all these, um, you know, it's, it's not just rules, but like procedures they have to follow to get anything done. And the world of people is just layered on them, all these obligations and all these judgments and this, the world of the birds is free and beautiful. So there's yeah. that aspect of it, but, but it's also like, they're just a bunch of birds, you know, <laughs> <laughs> birds that are, that are forming, yeah, forming a union to, to unite against both gods and people. Yeah. And, and yeah. like create the utopia and take over for Zeus as like leaders of the world. I mean, it is yeah. fantastical and silly. And so, the question really is, what was Aristophanes trying to do? Was this just an endeavor in fantasy? Or was this uh, clever, highly funny, but very specific and sharp political commentary? Right, right. And part of part of that equation that you got to remember is, is is he's writing from Athens, right? Athens when Athens was the 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 lawmaking city of the Mediterranean where where democracy was spreading out from where where the, all these laws were in place and also where all this theater is taking place. All these kind of uh poke like th this play especially pokes so much fun at Athens the city and and as you dig into some of the history around it there there there's been people offended at Aristophanes former plays he's gone to court a couple times so you kind of i wonder if some of the voice of the playwright isn't coming out in this moment of like boy this city with all of its laws and all of its problems and it's, yeah his frustrations <laughs> with other playwrights right i mean like at one point in the play like they just accuse a playwright of the time of outright plagiarism right, right. <laughs> in the play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's incredible, and 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 that's I think that's part of what the 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 sort of unwelcome visitor motif is meant to work out. The, the this is a motif in comedy. I forget if I said it in the in the context, but oftentimes the third part of comedic structure or old comedic structure in the Greek tradition is these unwelcome visitors who kind of mess with the original argument of the characters. So as each of these people come up, you 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 hear the critique of Athens in it. To down to the point that there's there's like specific names for some of them. My the one of the philosophers I think or the astronomer is called Meton in my or Meton in in my translation and and that's 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 an astronomer from the time who is who is just directly called out. Well, and Aristophanes is playing with even this old comedic form because this is a very long play for ancient Greek plays in general and for ancient comedies. And one of the reasons it's so long is that there are two initial debates. And of course, the initial debate is like kind of the inciting incident of this old ancient Greek comedic form. There's really two of them, the one they have with Hoopo and then the one they have with the full chorus of the birds. And there's three unwelcome visitor scenes following that which is a lot and that's right. what, those they sort of stack on top of each other and that's what ends up making this play feel so long for an ancient greek play and it, it truly was yeah and and it, i wonder if there, there's there's some interesting thought process around the 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 oh, this word is always so hard para, parabasis para, parabasis <laughs> 
Paravasis yeah, is what I'm going to say. Wrong fellow. <laughs> <laughs> per, the the paravasis as well is a very long uh, uh, convention in the middle that breaks some of the forms that are normally established, where there's not characters involved in the paravasis. It's just the chorus talking. Instead, there are birds talking to the audience. Well, yeah, and and so this paravasis is usually a moment, and you, you've said this, but just to clarify, where the the chorus speaks basically as the playwright. Uh, where they're 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 not playing. I mean, there's a difference between chorus and actors in ancient Greek theater. So they are actors, but they're not actors in the sense that they're playing characters. Even though they are, they're playing the chorus. It's it's sort of wild. But the chorus is speaking typically as the playwright, telling the audience something, addressing. I guess the judges they do that in this play. But in this case, the chorus is a, is not just like a chorus of citizens like you'd find in many of the Greek plays, or a chorus of bereaved women like you find in Lysistrata or, or whatever. In this case, they are a chorus of birds. I mean, other <laughs> than the the specifically human characters, the folks who come from Athens to the city of birds, nobody else is human in this play. They're gods at the very end, and, and there's one god who appears in the middle, Iris, and the rest of the characters are birds. So this is a chorus of birds speaking as birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not only that, but they're masking a costume change for the characters to turn into birds, yeah. <laughs> which is one of the, like, the longest uh, kind of address to the audience is after the characters have gone in to eat this root that turns them into birds, and they come out like feathered with with a bird mask on, and you're like, oh, so you were doing a costume change. Right? <laughs> As a side note, there's so much uh, ribbing about how bad the birds look in this yeah. play, like one after another, they're like, that bird is ugly. What is it? Oh, he's molting. That bird is ugly. Well, his feathers have been plucked by blah, blah, blah. You're ugly. No, you're ugly. And it's it's like, <laughs> you have to wonder if Aristophanes is not like, look, the bird costumes are only going to be so good. I just, right. you know, just that's the way it is, right? You can't, it's hard to make really good bird costumes. So I'm just going to write into the play that the birds look bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a rug with some feathers taped onto them. <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about some of the the ribbing in this play, the kind of good-natured kind of back and forth between the characters. We talked a little bit about the systemic ones, right? The the critiques of Athens, but also between the two main characters, Pistotheris, which, whew, I can't believe I said that. (laughs) And PT. I'm I'm impressed that you got it out. (laughs) Um, PT and Yulpides' friend have this, like, back and forth right away from the top they have these two birds one's a jackdaw and one's a, a crow or a raven and they're they're like yelling at each other that they spent this much money on the bird to try to find this place um but but throughout the play Yulpides kind of serves as a little bit of a you know they have a bit of a stooges relationship there's some echoes of comedic form in these two's relationship and actually that is something that Aristophanes is known for too his portrayal of friendship. I mean, it's such an interesting thing to know a playwright for, but he is sort of famously known for how well he writes friends. When we revisit Lysistrata later, the other Aristophanes play we'll be doing, later in, um, in, in parentheses, original 
or what did I say earlier? Old, original? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Masters I think it was original. Month. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> when we right. revisit Aristophanes in Lysistrata, we will see another example of how well Aristophanes writes friends. And Eupides and P.T. are a really lovely pair of friends. They are simultaneously affectionate and teasing. They play off of each other really well in their initial uh, plea to Hoopo, and then, of course, in their big song and dance, not literally but sort of figuratively presentation right. to the chorus of the birds about their plan for uh, cloud cuckoo land. I mean, they are really in sync. Yeah, Ar- Aristophanes's uh, friendship characters serve as the format or the archetype for much of comedy that we have seen since then. Like, if you think of Ocean's Eleven, Brad Pitt and George Clooney's characters are are doing very similar thing to these two, right? Like, they're yeah, walking in with this crazy point. plan. Yeah, yeah. That they, they walk in, they, they're pitching this wild scheme to people. It's like, no, seriously, it'll work. And and lo and behold, it does. Um, and 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 you know, we have we have that in sitcoms over and over. That the two friends conspire with this wild plan that that turns out. So so you you hear these or you see these kind of early forms of this relationship that that is proven to work so well in these plays that we have from from Greek comedy and then get picked up and turned into narratives that continue to work well into the present. Yeah, and and their relationship, the fact that they are on the same side of the cloud cuckoo land idea, that's Aristophanes playing with form too. And and so much of this, you it's just a little bit lost in translation, but it's really brilliant when you start to dig for it because, of course, the core uh, inciting incident, as we've talked about, is this big debate that occupies typically the very first part of these old comic ancient Greek forms. And typically there's a protagonist-antagonist battle in these debates. And the protagonist, of course, always wins because that's what drives the rest of the play. Protagonist has convinced folks of their idea. The rest of the play is the idea playing out. But in Aristophanes' version of this debate scene, which has a a very um, specific structure, you know, a specific combination of prose discussions and verse, and prose discussions and verse, chorus interspersed, Aristophanes' example of this is incredibly classic, strict in its form. It follows that to the letter, but even in amidst that strict adhesion to form, he is playing with the world of that form. Instead of protagonist, antagonist against each other, Euripides and P.T. are on the same side, and they're convincing the chorus of something. He shifts the roles in the form. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's evolving and turning into some a, a new a new form. It's it's not not surprising that he continues to win the awards at, at festivals because he keeps pushing the envelope, keeps trying something new. These two, uh, it's interesting that Eulpides kind of drops off towards the end of the yeah, play because so he just kind of goes away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they, they 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 go through so much in the first part together. They're wandering in a wilderness. They're pitching to a bunch of birds. At one point, they have to like defend themselves with kitchen implements against the birds as yeah. they're trying to swarm around them. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just gone. He's just like, okay, bye, Ilpides. <laughs> yeah, he turns into a bird and then goes off to oversee the construction of Cloud Cuckoo Land, and that is basically it. Yeah. So, so let's uh, as as we have these these two, as we're talking about these two, let's talk a little bit about how the 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 form is a little bit different between comedy and tragedy, and it's and it's worked out really well in this play. A lot of tragedy deals with powerful people. Um, 
having something happen to them. Tragic heroes with a lot of power, with a blind spot. They they fall from grace. They're ex ex or ex exited from the world. And uh, I can't I couldn't find the right word. Either in death or banishment or <laughs> right, some sort right. of great tragic punishment. And, and I mean, this play is. I, I I mean, this is just me speaking off the top of my head, of course, but it, I think it would be hard to find a play in all of the theater library that is more anti-tragedy yeah. than The Birds. Right, I mean, it right. It is willfully silly. It is totally non-realistic. It is fantastical, but in making fun of the gods, not taking mm-hmm. them seriously. It features a human absolutely triumphing over the gods. I mean, without any question or qualm, and that human, the, you know, if we're talking opposites, what would have been the tragic hero protagonist character, not engaged in some sort of terrible tragic punishment, but being crowned as king of everything and marrying (laughs) a beautiful goddess. I mean, ultimate success, literally lifted up to Olympus rather than smashed down for their arrogance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's completely, it's a completely flipped plot structure. You just laid it out perfectly. What is almost exactly the opposite of a tragic play structure, right? It's the little guy who is a no one. He doesn't have any power, really. He's out there in the world. He happens to be smart, which I guess is 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 a bit of a, a, a through line that they both well, are able to debate. He definitely has hubris, right? I mean, like yep. you're totally right to point out that PT is like not a king, right? He's just an average guy, and so in that way, he's opposite. But in the kind of the personality of the tragic hero, he is right on. He's got all the pride, all the intelligence, all the violence. Right. The same, like, beat everybody who challenges me. But yep. he wins. Right. It's really just the plot that saves him. He's got plenty of flaws. <laughs> It'd be pretty easy for him to, to kind of fall from from grace or or lose to the gods. But in fact, that that's another great convention uh, is his debate with the gods, right? Because it's three, right? So three people arrive. They have to vote on whatever the terms are. The three people who show up, well, first of all, we should say Prometheus shows up first and kind of hints him in on it. So already we're setting up a fall for the gods, right? Prometheus shows up. He's hiding from the gods. And they're like, hey, here's what you should do. You should ask for the scepter and also ask for Zeus, his girlfriend friend sovereignty and uh, and it'll it'll be great you'll you'll get this and prometheus runs off friend and there's of the a humans. great convention that holds true across translations so i think it must be in the original text where in order to hide from the gods he yes. just has an umbrella <laughs> <laughs> like the gods can only see straight down so like that's his way of beating the gods is he just walks under an umbrella and he has right. this conversation with pt under the umbrella hiding from the gods yeah I somehow mean, if, you were try- if you're a playwright trying to poke gods in the eye and make fun a little bit, the idea that they could be bested by an umbrella is right. pretty funny. <laughs> he somehow got off of his rock, found an umbrella, and then oh. went and showed up to here. Uh, but then the gods show up, right? And and what a motley crew of gods are here. There's Poseidon, right? There's the brother of Zeus here. Then there's uh, Heracles, who is um, a, a bastard son of Zeus. and, and Second tier at best right right <laughs> um and and he is i mean he's 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 very manipul very able to be manipulated um and and he and he's easily swayed by pt's uh, uh debate and and uh, critique of zeus then you have this third person and in my translation it's translated a tribalian tribalian um 
but it's a it's a it's a barbarian, right? Or, or in the in the terms of the time, the the barbaric folks to the north of Greece. Yeah, in my so, translation, or, or one of the translations that I read, it was translated as like a Stone Age god. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you have this like you have all all these these characters are all there. There's there's all sorts of kind of ribbing against against who they represent, right? Who is manipulated? The, poor Poseidon is there trying to be the, the god with some gravitas. Well, and isn't he's, it, it's an interesting <laughs> moment where Aristophanes sort of caved to realism. I think like the idea that. Uh, you know, they they would send a bunch of nobody gods to do this major um uh this this major peacekeeping mission, this major treaty signing mission. It, it's not it's sort of non realistic that they wouldn't have sent one of the major gods. But right. it's totally in keeping with the comedy of the play that it would have been like three nobodies and PT just outright outdoes them. <laughs> but it feels like Aristophanes is like, I gotta have at least one of the major gods go. <laughs> or it doesn't seem realistic them. at all. Like visiting Cloud Cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> this this is the key of realism is the one with right. the trident shows up right. and it's like yeah <laughs> yeah but just over and like this this is kind of the crowning uh debate of pt and it's and it's against these three gods that that are all representative of, of different sorts of society while still being representative of the gods he just manages to pull down so many people off of their mount olympus in one little debate <laughs> And and it's so it's so sort of it, it feel like you can feel the problem that this play might have created, right? Like for a culture that their great works of tragic literature are about humility and respect for the gods, that we have to honor the gods, that humans should not consider themselves godlike. For that culture to produce this play where right. the gods are openly mocked portrayed as stooges and ultimately triumphed over by a bunch of birds. <laughs> I mean, you could just like feel the controversy. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a reason why the comedy festival happened in the winter months in Athens um, <laughs> and, and pretty much had no like visitors involved. It's because this, this was like, this was, this was touchy stuff, right? You're talking about your lawmakers. You're talking about your generals. You're talking about the pillars of your society, right? Your priests, poets, and prophets. All of these people are just mercilessly mocked in this and, and w w without any regard for e either their uh, personal resistance to it or anyone else's perception of what society is. And this, the, the context of the play being presented at a comic play festival, and by festival we really mean competition. Of course, we've already have our had our big laugh about it getting second place, and us knowing about it <laughs> thousands of years later. And, you got second but place. The, the play is really a play, very much in its context, because there are several of the chorus monologues, and we've already sort of discussed what they are, where the chorus turns and talks to the audience and very specifically to the judges. And the chorus says there's several entreaties. Hey, vote for this play. You should elect this play to win the festival. Isn't this play great? And then in a moment of what I think is comic 
brilliance. I mean, I think I think if you're going to produce this play, you have to build the festival context around that, either by telling the audience what's happening or by maybe projecting before the play that there is a, a festival competition going on or presenting it in a competition. I don't know, but I, I just think that the moment is so brilliant and so crucial to the experience of the play because the chorus of birds turns and tells the judges that they should vote for the play and then they threaten them if they don't (laughs) they tell them all the wonderful things birds are going to do for you judges birds are going to make sure that your fields are overflowing they're going to give you good omens forever birds are going to be at your beck and call and take care of you and if you don't vote for this play you better walk around in armor and you better never wear white clothes because we're going to poop all over them and we're never going to, we're going to flock your fields and destroy your crops. And it's not, right, because we, as we discussed, there's, it's a classic moment of this old structure for the chorus to turn and address the judges and the audience as the playwright. But as birds, they're saying, us birds are going to poop on your white clothes if you don't ju- vote for us. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a brilliant moment just in in terms of what it is as theater, right? It's a very self-referential, self, uh, self-aware moment. And I think you're right in bringing up that that is one of the sort of struggles in doing this play. Part of the reason why it's, uh, I mean, there's also the reason that it's about a bunch of birds. But, but, yeah, but, but it's but. not, I mean, <laughs> for all of our laughing and wondering, uh, there are some reasons it's not really produced that much. Right, right. <laughs> but that is that is a significant one, right? It's very, very tied to a moment. And one of the struggles in, in producing it is tying it into that moment. Like, as I imagine trying to do this play, you almost have to write some scenes around it or something to, to fully contextualize what's happening. Happening and 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 bring in bring in how bring in maybe bring maybe to bring in a currently relevant cultural thing that is close to this sort of thing right like this is almost SNL it's very close to uh, Saturday Night Live comedy in, well, in its structure that's the, okay but that's an interesting question and it's where we started our discussion so let's turn to it now because. As you say, well, this is almost SNL. SNL lives in two worlds, doesn't it? It lives in a world of, on the one hand, um, very specific, very culturally relevant, and very carefully crafted political commentary where SNL actors will play politicians, they'll play famous people, they'll play specific real individuals, and they will comment in a comedic way on the goings-on of right now, and they'll make some sort of point. The other thing that SNL does is just engage in fantasy. What if a ketchup and a mustard bottle talk to each other for right. 10 minutes? Let's make that a sketch. Why what not? What if a lobster sang Les Mis right. in a, yeah, exactly. in a right. The lobster yeah. singing Les Mis is a better example. Yeah. So that, those are the two worlds of SNL, right? You get uh, the guy, uh, Alec Baldwin, playing Donald Trump, going for years in that specific political satire portrayal, and you get a lobster singing Les Mis. And the, the debate that has raged for this play is, which of those two things is it? Is it Alec Baldwin playing Trump, or is it the lobster singing Lemis? 
Right. And and I wonder if the answer is not it's both, as we have an example of in our in our society, right? Like it can do both. The play structure is equipped to to stand in both of those realms, as evidenced by, though comedic, uh, a really uh, well-written argument that that PT lays out about why the birds should actually be the gods of the world. They have a prior right to it by virtue of their their kind of backstory and Etymology. It's a well, he, he proves that he can have arguments with the best of all the people, or the playwright does at least. Um, and and what? But in the same in the same scene, he's or he's or in the next scene, I guess he's hitting people off. He's hitting priests off stage who are there to bless the new city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, the struggle for producing the play in today's world is that if it's the version of the play that's Alec Baldwin playing Trump, right? Specific, memorable, very funny, but very pointed and, and specific to the cultural moment. If it's that kind of political commentary, it, it's, it's just a little bit lost unless yeah. you have some way of doing a lot, a lot, a lot of work to either get the audience to understand what the political commentary was or to make the political commentary into something else. Um, but on the other hand, the parts of the play that I think still would work today and work when you read it and work in your imagination of a staging are really the more fantasy play kind of stuff. The big comedy, the idea of a chorus of birds, the, the incredible comic bits where P.T. and Eulipides, like you said, sort of a Three Stooges song and dance show. I mean, some of that that is not... It, it's not really based on our ability to understand the politics of the time. It's based on the uh, hilarious imagination of what if there was a city of birds and birds decided to take over everything? I mean, that part of the play, what if it is in there, still works. Mm-hmm. And, and the question of what if we could join them? Right. Like that's the other part. This kind of it's 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 leaning towards this utopian dream. Right. This what if we could leave it all behind and join a city of birds and fly around? Everything would be great. You know, what if they were they were both not only were, were we able to, but they were welcoming to us. We could just like grow wing, wings by eating, eating roots and fly away from all this mess, all this politics, all this, all these laws and all these people who want to sue us. Um, and and yeah, they, they leave the root behind. <laughs> even at one point and just like pull out a bucket of wings. That's right. And He's just like start throwing wings at people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Well, so what of the play is is more uncomfortable as we approach it today? I mean, it comes from a totally different culture with totally different cultural attitudes. And, and one of them that is more uncomfortable in this play is the attitudes towards women. I mean, all of the major characters in this play are men and pretty much all of the women characters are sex objects in the birds. That's not yeah, true I, of all ancient Greek plays. I just want to note that. But it is true of this play, which is a criticism of it. 
Absolutely. You, the, the Nightingale is a pretty prominent character in it. Um, she, she comes out and sings a song. She, in some translations, she's the, the wife of the, the hoopoe, um, but in others, she's just a nightingale, a, another, another bird. Um, and she is a very sexualized she's character. A, she's, she's Procne, who famously, in a totally different Greek story, becomes a nightingale. So this mm-hmm. is that nightingale for those who know the Procne story. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's certainly some problematic lines in the play around her. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the scenes around Iris showing up, and I think Iris might be the exception to that. Iris is the Greek goddess. She shows up, and she's uh, kind of harangued through town um, by the birds, but she more or less kind of holds the goddess's position. Um, she she is uh, outraged at their their insolence, um, but she is a kind of a a, a a fairly like in the same category as Poseidon. Poseidon-level god who shows up and says, what are you all doing? How dare you do this? Yeah, Iris sort of gets the role of of us being able to see how the gods will initially react because the, the only gods we meet later are gods who've known about this war and are losing. And Iris it comes about right when they've started instituting the rules, literally right before she comes on. There's this elaborate and truly, truly wonderful description of a messenger describing how birds built this great wall that's going to ring their city and their city is like loosely the sky i don't really it's never really clear (laughs) and i think deliberately vague what exactly there's stones involved though around the sky (laughs) not really sure what's going on there but so they there's this incredible and i don't want to stress that again incredible monologue from a messenger describing how birds built the wall is wonderful and, and and how they started doing sentry duty and now they're on guard and pretty much right away he's like a god got through get him get him get him and iris comes on and a pt launches into do you have your papers do you have this do you have that and Iris is like what are you talking about <laughs> so she gets that role of what would be the initial reaction Right, so she comes in. She kind of like reality checks the play and is like, "The gods, the gods are watching. The gods know about this. Like, we have a problem, <laughs> and it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna come around." So that I mean, that at least is a a female character that has some prominence in the play. And certainly, I wonder if the opportunity isn't there, especially in a modern context, as as you were going into this play to really just get carte blanche. As far because it is, it's obviously in the public domain. You get carte blanche to assign whatever roles you want, <laughs> or whatever, whatever uh, sort of you can you can flip any of the characters' genders in the play. I think it would be an interesting play. Um, the 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 certainly the priest, poet, um, prophets, all of them uh, could could be gender flip casting. I'm sure it'd be a really interesting play to gender flip, um, as opposed to uh, the the other play by Aristophanes that we'll be talking about, and we'll be t- we'll be talking a lot about gender in that play. Um, and that that's a little less free to flip the genders in that play. Yeah. The other thing that is challenging about this play is the sheer amount of cultural references. And we've talked about that throughout this discussion. But just to lay it on the table, if you're not reading this play with footnotes, a huge majority of it is going to fly over your head. And then even if you are reading it with footnotes, it becomes a game of like, they mentioned that name. Who the heck is that? What story is that? Oh, I see how they're making a joke about that story I've never read. And actually, we don't even have written down anywhere anymore. That's just something you would have had to know about, I guess. And it (laughs) is constant. Oh, yeah. It is page one to page 100 and whatever. Again, this is a longer play for the ancient Greeks. I mean, it is on and on and on on with references that 
just don't mean hardly anything to anybody anymore. Yeah, no, it's super true. There's there's just so many specific references that I, I imagine you just have to, you'd either have to find a way to set it anachronistically and give those names some sort of anachronistic thing about them, or, or I, you know, probably just cut them, <laughs> which is presents an interesting problem to approaching the script because there are so many pages, just monologue after monologue of very specific references. So if you start cutting out things from it, what do you lose? What sort of, you know, there's, there is a rhythm to this play. Many English translations try to maintain that kind of a, uh, some sort of rhythmic speech pattern to it. So, so it is, it is certainly a challenge to, to kind of figure out what to leave in and what what'll just leave your audience glassy-eyed by the time they're they're done hearing about this really referential philosopher in in Athens from 400 BCE. And yeah, one of the other it's I don't know it, it's only a challenge uh, in the sense that it has to be overcome, not that it is particularly impossible to overcome, but the the play is about birds, right? I mean, you got to figure out some convention for people playing birds and not just like the play is about birds. So the characters are all birds, but there's people and there's birds and there's gods and they all got to be different somehow because the people turn into birds. The birds look bad, but how do they look bad? And there's all different kinds of birds. So you can't just have a bird costume. There's very specific stuff. You know, it's you think about like, you like to play honk, right? It's a musical about all animals for the most part. So you can sort of conventionalize, well, a suit coat is a cat and a nice feather boa, that's a goose. But this is a play about people and birds and people and birds together. And so if you if you don't have a budget, there's gonna, you're going to have to figure out how to do that on a shoestring budget. If you do have a budget, though, I mean, think yeah. about how spectacular a big-budget, big-name theater kind of production of this play could be just in terms of sheer spectacle. And, of course, spectacle yeah. is, is really low on the list of the poetics if you want to try to judge the ancient Greek plays by the poetics. Not all of them follow them very closely, but some of them do. But mm -hmm. Spectacle is low on that list, but... It's pretty high in the experience of this right. play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you could you could go all the way up to you know puppets and and all sorts of you know mechanics to portray them. I, I think you could probably get away though with just masks too. Um, I think that would be a decent enough convention to get away with it. And and you're right to kind of draw attention to how how many like this is a almost a bird watcher's play. Like there's so many specific references lists to types of birds. And lists and yeah. lists of birds. There's lists of birds that are off stage that you never meet. There are lists of birds that you do meet that come on stage in a big parade. There's lists of ancient birds who yeah. did ancient things and a chronology of ancient birds all the way to today's <laughs> birds that the chorus of birds does at one point. I mean, it is like... So many yeah. birds. It's like Aristophanes went to like a folk school class on bird watching <laughs> and then was like, man, I love this. I'm going to write a whole play about it. <laughs> it it's, a, it's a big, big play in terms of its length, in terms of the scale of the spectacle, in terms of the cultural reality that the play is situated in, and in terms of the comedy and the genius behind the comedy. The birds, it's very funny still today to read those parts of it that aren't a little bit lost in today's lexicon and it's man it's it's sure close to being a pretty darn producible funny play 
I think that's just about all the time that we have for this play. This play, this earliest, amongst the earliest of the comedies that we have, and the first play in our original Masters Months or Greek theater month. Um, uh, it's, we want to keep having the conversation, though. We want to kick the conversation to all of you out there in podcast land. This is a play that is sometimes, at least, studied in colleges, studied in theater history classes. That's the first time I was introduced to it, as it has a very fairly prominent role in our, in our comedic history. So if you want to have someone to talk about this play with, we'd love to be those people. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at the username, at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast, at gmail.com find us on any of those platforms or sites and we would love to keep talking about the birds with you as a tidbit for those of you who have made it this far i did a set design for this play for a set design class that i took in college and that is how i was introduced to the birds was trying to do a set design for the birds and the set is not the most extravagant part of this play so why i decided to do a set design for the birds in my set design course i'll never know to this day it's sort of a flabbergasting decision that i made but so it goes i mean that might have been why that could be that was easy (laughs) some rocks i think i think if we could just get away with some rocks. <laughs> rocks and pillars. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please recommend this podcast to your family and friends. It's a great month for somebody to jump on because they can hear four, four discussions about ancient Greek plays all in a row. So send them our way. They can find us at Podbean where we're hosted, at Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We're in all those places. If you like us on Facebook, you'll get the ads that come out every Wednesday and a link to the new episode every Monday. Until next week and the next episode of Original Masters Month. I'm Jacob Ann Christensen. <laughs> I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you for listening to No Script, the podcast. Goodbye. So I've, I've had just like the barest bit of, of Greek language now in, in my grad school. And I can tell you that Cloud Cuckoo uh-huh. Land in Greek is Nephilo Kokugia. <laughs> Nephilo Kokugia. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm That's glad pretty... we called it Cloud Cuckoo, and I would never be able to consistently pronounce that through an hour episode. <laughs> but the cuckoo's in there. Cuckoo.